Welcome to Bookplate, a monthly dive into Forever Young Adults book club pick. Bookplate picks apart the juicy, delectable parts of the story like a lovely meal shared among friends. We are your hosts. My name is Annie. I am a member of the Forever Young Adult San Francisco chapter. Hey, I'm Jenny from FYA headquarters. I'm Britt, also from SFFYA. This month we're going to be discussing The Serpent King, which is the first novel from Jeff Zent. Is that how you say his name? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Our amuse-bouche, which is a short intro to the story. Dill, Travis, and Lydia are three outcasts living in rural Tennessee. During their senior year, they discover what true friendship means through many trials. The first young adult offering from Jeff Sentner, he writes, I wanted to write about young people who struggle to lead lives of dignity and find beauty in a forgotten, unglamorous place who wonder what becomes of dreams once they cross the county line. This book is my love letter to those young people and anyone who has ever felt like them, no matter how or where they grew up. Oh, that's beautifully worded. It is. I actually thought a lot of the story was beautifully worded. Oh, he definitely has a talent for words. Yeah, it's like a poetry in motion type deal. Yeah, this is a one-sitting read for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, same here. Well, and he's a musician, too, so that adds mm. another layer to, I think, how compelling this book is. Some of it is a little like lyrics. Yeah. yeah. Our appetizer are crystal burgers <laughs> and family <laughs> legacies. Travis. <laughs> <laughs> I love, love crystal Travis. burgers. <laughs> well, crystal burgers is a total East Coast thing. They don't exist on the West Coast, mm. and they also don't exist. I think they're a total South thing. Like, I'd never heard of them until I went to Florida. I've lived in the Midwest and I have not heard of them either. So it's basically a white castle. Okay. Yeah. That they have in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have Hardee's in the South. So they're the same thing as White Castle, except one has onions. And I can't remember Blah. which it is. <laughs> <laughs> Family legacies. In this book, the three main characters, Dill, Travis, and Lydia, they each have their own, but Dill gets the book title. Lydia has a loving home, and Travis is has a military background and violence in his family. Dills not only has the title, title of the Serpent King, but also is, deals a lot with depression, severe depression. I thought that was an interesting way to weave the stories together. It made <laughs> me think, what kind of family legacy I have, or we each have, that we both own or try to live down? Hmm. <laughs> For me... I found Dill's story really compelling because my father's family is a Southern Baptist family from Georgia. All of the super religious stuff, we've definitely been down to the South. We've been to those really, really, really deep South churches where people do speak in tongues. And, you know, I was raised Catholic and am not anymore. However, that was just bizarre to me. And yet you can see how this sort of worldview frames everything that my father's family does. And it it just comes down through the generations. And there are good parts, like respecting your elders and trying to do good. But then there are also the hypocritical parts and the really awful things that Jeff Zentner explores in this book. And uh, I think it's it's very easy for for that message to get twisted. Did you attend a charismatic service? Nope, but I've met lots of people who did go to them. (laughs) <laughs> and believed in them really heartily and I respect that that's what they believe but to me I think it's bunk 
just for clarification, charismatic means speaking in tongues. If you go to a charismatic church and someone gets the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Annie? My family legacy, a lot of it is tied really closely into law Mm -hmm. and also very much working class. And I think it's hard for me to navigate that because my upbringing, I didn't really get punished. They were defense attorneys, but I didn't really have any like capital punishment in my family. Everything they used to make me act right was about emotional weight and Mm -hmm. and making me feel emotionally bad about things, which I... Morals, but also like guilt. Also Christian guilt very Christian mm-hmm. I was raised Presbyterian but I liked that because it allowed for a dialogue between my parents that I don't know if other kids got if I was able to speak to them on their level or if I was able to make the argument that I wanted to make then I basically got my way which <laughs> taught me manipulation at a very young age and also strained the relationship between my sister and I because I always were was better and quicker and faster mm-hmm. with words and so I got my way more and I, cause I wasn't allowed to touch her, but I like mentally and emotionally abused her until she basically did what I wanted, which is like not a healthy thing to do. Well, you're the older sibling too, right? I'm also the older sibling. So yeah, I just, learned, we'd learn a little faster. <laughs> right. But I learned that from my parents, but then I abused the power. It gave me access to them in a way that allowed me to speak more on an equal level, which mm-hmm. I think also got me in trouble in other places because I would try to speak to other adults on an equal level and they would look at me funny and be like, what are you trying to do, 10-year-old child? Oh, the adults in my life loved it. Yeah. <laughs> which always appealed to me. I always uh, enjoyed my friend's parents more than I enjoyed my friends when mm-hmm. I was younger. When I was younger, not now. That is definitely something that still sticks with me. It made me one of those people that would just argue for argument's sake a lot. And I realized (laughs) that that is not something that I actually like to do. I just was, it was familiar. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I've, I've noticed in my family. And then the working class part is very interesting because we're white working class. So we're already at a base level of privilege that a lot of people in this country don't experience. And so is everybody in this book too. True. When I say working class, I don't mean at the level of poverty that these folks are at. I didn't realize how intense my father identified with the working class until I wanted to go to Harvard. I had wanted to go to Harvard for a long time. We actually did a school tour of the East Coast, and we were on Harvard campus, and we were trying to go to the tour. And my dad asks a student on campus, like, where this building was, and he must have pronounced the name wrong, which is Mm -hmm. probably something everyone does. And the kid obviously made a joke, and I don't remember what it was, but it was a joke about the name and my dad took it so personal Mm. you know this is when I was like 17 16 maybe my dad took it so personal he told the kid fuck you gave him (gasps) the finger and just walked and started walking away and so me and my mom were just following him and I was like holy shit this is a person who he's very even keel Mm -hmm. you know there's very few times that that person has gotten mad and it was that that triggered him and at the time, I had no idea. And I think now it's because he felt like the kid pulled a class thing on him. Is like, okay, you plebe, you don't know what this high flute in <laughs> school's name is, and I'm going to make fun of you. But I think just being there was rubbing him the wrong way. Wow. And he had always, and he'd never told me that. He'd always like, of course, you want to go to Harvard, go to Harvard. But he never said that what his personal convictions were and like why he had a personal problem with it. It took that for me to be like, I don't think dad's cool with this. <laughs> so those are some some of the family legacy stuff that like, has followed me and come out in times that I like necessarily wasn't prepared for. I wanted to just backtrack a little bit because what you were saying about, you know, talking to 
adults, like an adult or whatever. I am listening to the audiobook of Troublemaker by Leah Remini. Um, she <laughs> plays the wife on King of Queens, and she used to be a Scientologist and had like a very public falling out with the Church of Scientology, and that's what her book is about. And it's really interesting. It kind of reminded me of this book in a little bit because of the sort of exploring an obscure religion and like she talks about it in a way that you could see why and how she got involved one of the things she talked about was kids are not really considered kids in Scientology like 13 year olds have jobs and they're treated just the same as adult there's like this kind of this ranking system but it's not really like kid versus adult it's like where you are in your courses or whatever it just goes really into it but right how do they they have have different levels they give them jobs in the church yeah okay okay on there there are certain levels that they everybody has to attain another great book about this um not on a personal level like leah remini yeah remini's book but uh going clear is an excellent book it's absolutely fascinating so if you want the background before you go into leah's book i don't know my family always treated me like i should talk to adults as if i were a tiny adult how about you guys no (laughs) (laughs) no i would probably say that's true for most black parents like there's a certain like level of respect for your parents for your elders that you have to have one of the things that really i'm not a parent yet but i don't think i'm gonna be an old school parent but one of the things (laughs) that really bothered me in this book was the way that lydia talks to her dad Mm. like the way that she just kind of like waves him off or she's like go do this go do that go order me a pizza and i'm just like i twitch like (laughs) i can't like i wouldn't like I'm just picturing the look on my mom's face right now if I had ever said something like that to her and it just would not fly. No, we we had to be respectful, but a lot of adults were like, well, you have such a big vocabulary. You're speaking in complete sentences. You're not, I don't know, this is the 90s, so you're not wearing hammer pants and got a boombox on your <laughs> shoulder and being like, hey, what's cool? Radical. Cowabunga. I mean, seriously, that's what people used to make a fuss over me about. Okay, I like this, so I'm going to keep reading and keep talking to you. Like, but no, like Lydia's, no, no. Uh, that really offended me as well. It's like the same reaction that I have when teenagers call their parents by their first names. I mm. just I can't. Oh no. I d- it did seem disrespectful. It didn't seem loving. She took him for granted. Yeah, it really did. I had a hard time liking her. Period. To be honest, in the book, I liked her, but she was spoiled. The relationship between Dill and Lydia's dad, though, was just like, oh, that was just heart melting. I love that so much. I think I cried hardest at that scene with them in the car when they were both crying. No, Dill Dill could appreciate his fatherhood. I'm one of those monsters who dog ears pages, and that is is one that I dog eared. Just that whole scene um, in the car on the way back from from Nashville, right? With, uh, yeah, with Dill and... And Lydia's dad, where he's like, I wish that you could be my dad. And he's like, I would be proud if you were my son. I was just like, oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. Finally, the validation he never got. Right. That just made them. <laughs> <laughs> the main course is smoked pork shoulder, mm. mac and cheese, cornbread, and collard greens, southern meal, which is small town life, where and how we find beauty and the death of a close friend. Small town life. They have a super small town. It's a Walmart town. Yeah. Well, they've got the pizza garden. (laughs) That is the hot hangout. (laughs) I grew up in a Walmart town. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to describe what that was like? Cloying. 
I was so happy to get to San Francisco. I never felt like I met anybody who appreciated anything that I had to say or think or feel. That's why I liked all of my friends' parents better. (laughs) Because I so desperately wanted to go to museums and go to concerts and and do all this stuff. And instead I had a bunch of people my age who were like, why do you read vampire books? Are you a Satanist? And it got to the point where I'd just be like, yeah. Yeah, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Except they still would. I mean, I lived in a suburb, so it wasn't a city. But I definitely had the experience where I was so tied into the way you looked. And I, thinking about it now, you know, I came out as queer last year. I think I was queer as a young person and just, like, didn't know how to be, like, my gender identity is not the same as the rest of you or I'm not trying to be the same as the rest of you and as a young person it was just like I want to wear my hair different I want to I have Mm -hmm. different clothes and I want to wear these clothes that I feel comfortable in my uniform every day for sixth grade was my father's flannel shirts it had three of them that I would rotate and a pair of leggings some with stirrups some with not oh stirrup leggings (laughs) it was the one thing that I felt comfortable in I I mean I was tortured for it like uh, there was I think this one particular girl and I had history where we had been friends and then I think her mother had told her not to be friends or she you know the popular kids in order to be popular have to oppress somebody Mm. we did not have that many kids to you know to (laughs) oppress I was one of the like five outcasts especially it was more poignant because I had been friends with them and then was no longer but she would just like every day if I picked something different like one day I wanted to wear pigtails so I wore pigtails and she was like why is your hair like that why do you look like that? And I couldn't own it that I had made that choice myself. So I told her my mom made me, which of course she knew was not true. I was not the kid where my mother could make me do many things. (laughs) (laughs) The struggle for identity in a place where different is bad. I felt that so strongly in this book. They have like an inability to escape. For me, I went to middle school and finally there were more kids. Finally, it wasn't the same faces that I had been seeing kindergarten through sixth grade. We had middle school, seventh and eighth. The first day of middle school, I specifically went around to every single one of my classes and picked the people I wanted to be my friends because I was done with those kids. (laughs) And one of the people I picked in that group, I'm still best friends with today. But it was like, I knew that was my one chance. It was like, here's my chance. Here's a new pool of people. (laughs) Better make it good now (laughs) while you can before they realize, like, you know, before someone stigmatizes you, before they find out Mm -hmm. from someone else that I'm like the outcast. Got to make good now. I remember that desperate need to do that. I would have killed for a group like this in the book. Somebody who accepted your quirks, like they all kind of, they giggle at Travis and how much he loves his books and all of that, but they still love him. They treat him with respect. They think his stories suck, but that's not something that can't be fixed with a little editing. They're, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're pretty kind to him, all things considered, and I would have killed for that when I was a teenager, but did not have it. Yeah, I could definitely relate to Lydia just wanting to get out and start over and go to college yeah. and... <laughs> I definitely understand where Dill's coming from and like it feels like a personal you're excited to leave me kind of thing but I was I was Lydia I was like ready to get out of high school and it didn't mean I wasn't <laughs> gonna miss my friends everybody's crying at graduation I'm like yes it's done <laughs> I get to get out of here <laughs> goodbye see you later <laughs> yeah. did you have a business plan like Lydia what no I just 
high school was not a good time. <laughs> it was, no. I went to a school that was like not very racially diverse at all. I was definitely like in the weird group of friends and it's, it wasn't even like we picked each other. It was sort of like we were the ones <laughs> that were in a group because we were not in any of the other groups. So we were like together by default. Do you feel leftovers. like that's how these three friends were? It's hard to say because we don't see a whole lot of interaction with the rest of the, the rest of the school yeah, yeah. until but you get to prom though well yeah so maybe but i mean you know they all genuinely like each other which yeah i don't so know your some high of school us friends <laughs> not so much some of us did but we had there were some people that they're there because they don't go anywhere else <laughs> and kind of realize that it's not like something you're gonna call somebody on because like you're also in the same boat i don't know do you guys feel like the friendships here were authentic? Did they did they seem real to you or Yeah, I thought so. Definitely. I mean, like you said, they they make fun of him, but they accept him. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't push him out, they don't push him to some other group. Yeah. yeah. And they they truly do love each other. Yeah, yeah, the friendship to me was what I bought the most out of out of this book and I thought it was really good in general, but you know, there are definitely a few things that I thought were well, they didn't they didn't work quite as well, but I never doubted the friendship. If you weren't down with Lydia, you would not go on her shopping excursion trips and have her torture <laughs> right, you like true. that. You know yeah. what I mean? At least I wouldn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fun to try new things, but she's she wants to make dill over. She's super dominant. Oh yeah. I butt my head against that. It's fine <laughs> if like we're all agreeing to do something, but it's all if it's always your way all day. I will find a different way. Well, Dill had never had anybody pay attention to him for him. It's right. just what can you, what you can do for me. Mm. So I think that's why he was okay with it. I think also probably because he liked her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just, okay. Whatever like, you want to do. Time with you. And then Travis <laughs> is off in his own world anyway. So he was like, I'm good as long as I got my book <laughs> and my staff. So like, you can <laughs> take me wherever. Oh, Travis, I love you. I love the staff. Okay, there was one girl I had a super crush on, and I did hang out with her until I got, and and she kind of, like, just ran the show mm-hmm. until I got up the gumption to, like, ask for something, and then when she turned me down, I got embarrassed and was like, okay, I don't Aww. have to reach out in as much anymore, or, like, you probably won't either now that we're in that awkward, <laughs> like, I've turned you down moment. Uh, the teen years you couldn't pay me to go back (laughs) that's like all of my experiences it's like me asking someone to make out with me and being turned down (laughs) but then (laughs) doing the same to other people later and realizing like oh this is how that works (laughs) (laughs) just being so confused I actually really liked that they eventually figured it out versus like being totally confused and not coming together yeah where and how we find beauty Back to discussing the language of the book. The language of the book is gorgeous. It is. The small infinitesimal details that become everything. One of my favorite moments is as Dill walked home, a brisk wind blew, drying the leaves, which skittered and danced in front of him in the moonlit shadows. Their scratching on the pavement was a song to him. Love that. Oh yeah, he's definitely got a beautiful way of writing. Part of the whole like where and how we find beauty thing is why I love Travis so much because he doesn't have that in his life or in the world. So he finds it in this fantasy world and in these books and in the forums and the characters. And I feel like Harry Potter was very much that for me. I definitely relate to that. And Oh yeah. I lived in my, my world of books too. Travis yeah. was mo- the most relatable. 
Yeah. That note about the leaves that just really is so visceral for me. Mm-hmm. Where I grew up, it was wet in the fall. So leaves don't skitter and dance. They sit in a pile <laughs> and then and they mold. rot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you can scoop them up and jump into them, but you're going to be wet after you do that. Um, yeah, that's why my mother would never let me jump into a leaf pile. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. I mean, I loved doing it, but when I went to school in St. Paul, Minnesota and fall hit, there was this sound that kept happening and I, it was freaking me out because I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is that? What is that? What is that? And then I remember walking home in that twilight, the sun has set, but it's not completely dark yet. There's that Mm -hmm. twilight and seeing the leaves moving and hearing the sound at the same time and figuring out, oh my goodness, that is what that is. (laughs) And just realizing that I was in this different part of the world for the first time and how in this part of the world, this is a normal thing and nobody thinks it's weird. And coming from another part of the world, just like that one detail, that was one of those moments where like my perspective on life clicked, (laughs) clicked a different direction, different dial. It turned. I just, I will always remember that. And so I really loved that line in the book. I think Zentner does a really good job of just setting the time and the place of this book. Like it, it just feels like this book long, beautiful sunset, kind of like the cover. I think the mm. cover is perfect. Or you just you just kind of feel like you're sitting in that that summer, late fall afternoon for the entire book. He describes it so well. This isn't like a subject matter that I would necessarily be interested in. I'm not a contemporary fan. I'm not either. <laughs> nope. In one sitting, you know. That's what I was just like, Yeah, me neither. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think that really speaks to how the language of a story can really make it yeah if it it wasn't that language if it was just someone telling me that story no thanks but just because of that language I rated it really highly I thought the writing craft was very good I'm especially wary of contemporaries where there's an issue to describe you know we call them issue books on FYA and they're not my deal I don't like them I usually think they're cliched I the last one that really made me angry was all the bright places I hated how it ended. I won't spoil it for anybody, but uh, I thought it was not well done. I thought the writing was beautiful, but I didn't think the ending was well done. And this book blew me away. Yeah, we can move to the the issue, which is Death of a Close Friend. Total YA trope. You call it an issue book? Okay, so I would say, (laughs) yeah, Death of a Close Friend or Death of a Family Member, total YA trope. This one comes almost towards the end of the book. I mean, I guess it's midway because there's a lot more that happens for Dylan and Lydia, but it felt like the end to me. Yeah. yeah. It was really hard. Oh, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, he was the most likable character, the the sweetest and most genuine, I think, of the other two. The other right. two are still tra- struggling to find themselves, and Travis has just been himself all along. And he's cool with that, and it doesn't matter yeah. if anybody else is. When, when he meets his author friend, you know, he's just happier than a pig and shit, as <laughs> some people would say. I love in like, my how family. he out at meeting, like, yes. the, the George R. R. Martin, basically, of this book. Yes. <laughs> or of this world. Did yeah. you believe that? I didn't. No, I mean. No, of course not. It was what, wish fulfillment. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And we know that you have a layover in Nashville. We're just going to go for ice cream. And yeah, <laughs> it's going to be great. And I don't know. No, like, it was total okay. wish fulfillment, but I, it was sweet. Yeah. I loved it, I truly, mm-hmm. but that just it also just like 
irked me that it was Lydia again yeah. just because she <laughs> I know people yeah. in New York yeah <laughs> but but she's also the take charge one of the That's three true. of them the other ones couldn't get their shit together to save their lives which is I I liked her I mean I didn't love her but I liked her I respected what she was what she was doing I can't quite solidify my issue with it but it seems like this idea of women doing the emotional and physical labor for oh, yeah. the men mm-hmm. is, you know, something that I don't want to encourage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but w- when you're in high school, though, I think the girls do mature faster than the boys. Yeah. So I was not surprised to see it. Do I wish it were different? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I have to read this quote because it totally describes when uh, Lydia is, you know, talking to Dill about going to college and and then he says why aren't you up travis's ass about this too (laughs) and she says first of all don't assume that i'm incapable of being up more than one ass at a time (laughs) i can be up many asses at the same time multiple asses i cause rips in the space-time continuum (laughs) with how many asses i'm capable of being up simultaneously stephen hawking had to come up with a parallel universe theory (laughs) to explain my up asses omnipresence (laughs) It's, meanwhile it's so there's true. Like a, a youth group over the next table giving her dirty looks yeah. and I can just picture that whole scene and I'm just like yes <laughs> so true oh. <laughs> oh man I think I would have been scared of her maybe that was that's my real fault I probably would have too I would have too and boy can you imagine her as a parent holy shit no, no. <laughs> the book deals with loss in actually many ways it discusses suicide prison and then also gives us that senseless death the kind that confronts our purpose I personally bawled and I hated it, but I came out the other end okay, and I think that's the point of the story, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's one of the few that I've been able to forgive. Many YA books have put that senseless <laughs> death or like, it's this death that got me here or whatever. Well, and there's always an absent or dead parent. And mm-hmm. Right. And Dill's got an absent parent, but I love that that was part of the story here. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's grappling with that and grappling with his father's abuse, even from prison. Yeah. That was, that was so well done. Then the fact that, I mean, I know his, his mom never goes with him to the prison. You know, I don't yeah. know if his mom even sees his dad. It's interesting that, like, he's the liaison between them. Mm-hmm. I love the dichotomy between Dill's father's emotional abuse and Travis's father's emotional and physical abuse. Like, they're both clearly like ruining both of those kids' lives, but in such a different way. I'm hoping that you know maybe maybe the actual kids who pick this book up read that and go, oh yeah, I don't have to put up with that shit. Maybe you know there's got to be some way I can get out of this. Do you think Zentner picked both the boys to have the problematic fathers because that's like a tradition? You know, boys don't get along with their dads. I still I still know boys that have that struggle with their father relationship i had never thought about it that way yeah i haven't really either i guess well because in dill's case both parents are pretty terrible Mm. (laughs) yeah i don't know maybe he was just trying to balance it out dill has two parents that are awful and travis has one parent that's awful and one that's well they both got battered wife syndrome i think yeah and then you know lydia has two great parents so maybe he was just trying to show all three yeah i found it interesting that lydia's parents are not from the small town and that the parents that are from the small town are the ones with mm. the... Because they moved back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying to give her a better life. Anybody who's lived in a small town like that and hasn't felt like they belonged would never move their child back to a small town thinking, oh yeah, that's the solution. 
Right, but there's that loss of like the protective childhood, which I think is something that, that our country's struggling with. Like when I was growing up, I lived in that suburban area and I literally ran wild like in my neighborhood mm-hmm. through people's houses. I ate their strawberries, you know, like <laughs> I picked their flowers. Um, when it was sledding, you sled wherever, you know. And now parents are arrested when they send their children out for a walk by themselves. Yeah. Oh, I never had the, the childhood like you did, but my dad did. Yeah. And he thought it was great. And my, well, I think my mom did, too. She grew up in Redwood City, which is a suburb of the Bay Area, if you guys aren't familiar. But still pretty pretty quiet and sleepy. And you could let your kid run around. And I didn't. Uh, in fact, my mother thought I was really weird for wanting to sit home and read books all the time. <laughs> she would kind of force me to go out and go to the park, play with people. Dessert is yellow birthday cake. And writing about writers. We touched on this a little bit. It's one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. We already said it's the George R.R. R. Martin character. We get the amazing fanboy episode orchestrated by Lydia. <laughs> As I said, I didn't really buy it. Like, I loved it, but I also felt like it was Zentner's justification for killing him off. Yeah. Like, that he got to have, like, one last amazing... Yes. Yeah, that last <laughs> Right? Like, his life isn't that bad. He finally gets his dream, and then... Okay, now I can kill the character. <laughs> like, yeah, except uh, that his dream was really to be a published author, true. so... I felt the same way you guys did. It was like, oh, well, oh, shit. Because <laughs> I knew as soon as that happened, I, I was like, oh, what's going to happen to Travis now? <laughs> On the other hand, you guys, you know, you you can have lunch or ice cream with your favorite author. We've done it <laughs> in our book club and they're they're more accessible, I think, than than ever before. Which That's is interesting. Which is a weird thing to think about because when we were teenagers, the internet was kind of fledgling and you know, authors were not as available as they are now. And even, I mean, Jeff Zentner is pretty available to his fans. You know, I, I've seen him answering questions and that sort of thing on Twitter such. Yeah, that's a good point. Just the way that this author is described in the book, like it really does like seem like he's like George R. R. Martin. So I think oh, yeah, for, like, for, sure. <laughs> for such a huge name author, it feels... <laughs> I don't know. Like, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> I don't know. Well, also, George R. R. Martin is too busy with fantasy football <laughs> to finish his last book. So how would he stop by a small town to see a kid? I don't know. Oh, yeah. But didn't he say that his next book is coming out this winter? Sure. Winter yeah. Winter is coming. <laughs> My dad. Is it windy in here? <laughs> My dad sent... He he now he's moved on from like group emails that only have one word subjects or like they're the title of the article that he's sending to group texts where it's like the same thing now. So he sent a group text which is like the title of the article about George R. R. Martin and it's just a picture of George R. R. Martin with a bunch of like scantily clad women <laughs> and a link to the article and then the next text is Lois you were right Lois is my mother so it's like a conversation that they are oh my having God. my mom and stepdad do that all the time we have an ongoing group <laughs> chat with my mom my stepdad me and my brother and like we'll you know occasionally talk to each other or send articles but sometimes my mom is like oh can you pick up some asparagus at the store <laughs> And I'm like, why do I need to see this? Like, you can text him on your own. Like, you don't have to use the group chat for everything. Well, wait a minute. So if George R. R. Martin is in scantily, do either of you watch Younger? I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. So it's this show on TV land where Sutton Foster plays this 40-year-old woman who used to work in publishing, had a kid, took some time off, can't get hired when she's 40 and trying to go back into the workforce. So she pretends to be 26. And 
the lie gets her the job, but it also so gets like her. I've never been kissed, but like for a job. Kind, kind of, of, yeah, <laughs> kind of. You know, she starts making friends and acting like she's 26 and she gets a hot younger boyfriend. Yes. But there, there's this whole series of episodes where they have a character who is clearly George R.R. R. Martin oh, and he, they're releasing his next book and he wants somebody to play the, the hot, young, scantily clad girl and it's Sutton Foster's character. And he's really, really terribly lecherous and now I'm going to picture that <laughs> in this book. I think you can just read his books and know that he's lecherous. <laughs> or at least his like concept of what women are is very much askew. Hmm. <laughs> Well, I thought it was interesting just because, like, Travis really does spend so much time in his own little fantasy world. The thing that, and I don't want to sound at all, like, victim-blaming at all, but, like, the thing that got him to, like, fight back against his father was when his father went for his signed copy of that book. And he was just like, yep. okay, like, now it's on. Because he allowed himself to love the book because it loved him back, right? Yeah. And then you know, the author loved him back. And then, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, his father went for the, that thing. Someone who's an abuser always goes for the thing. Yeah. They yeah. know. Well, and once his world had been opened up to somebody who treated him, like an adult figure who treated him really well, that was it. There's no going back. You can't take the, put the blinders back on. I felt like the next step was D&D for him. Like, if he's carrying this hat, <laughs> <laughs> he needs yeah. to be in. But where are you going to find that in small I town mean, Tennessee? Lydia, I feel like Lydia could have easily have done that. She, she, she probably would have if he asked. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, she like he'd been bugging her to read the books forever and ever. That's and true. she like was like, all right, I'll pick up the first one only because like I'm meeting the author now kind of thing. So That's a bigger time commitment, though, especially for somebody who's not a reader. Hmm. And she basically had her own side business going, so I can see where she probably wouldn't want to get into George R. R. Martin's books. Yeah, I I've just, tried multiple times. <laughs> he clung to you know his online community because like they're as into it as he is. So yeah, he could play with his friends, but if they're not into it like he is, then it's not as fun. Like yeah. I've played Harry Potter trivia <laughs> with <laughs> people who are just like casual Harry Potter fans, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm getting bored of wiping the floor with you guys. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would want to play with like some more hardcore Harry Potter fans. Make it a challenge. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody who I can like nerd out about the little details with and they would get it rather right. than just going along with it because they like me anyway. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I think I think that's the that's the key here is that Travis is probably not gonna find many people and the people who do play it are not gonna speak up and small town Tennessee or small town Central California if you're me I did speak up and then I got bullied my mom made fun of me when she got book seven out of the Harry Potter series first you know <laughs> she was like guess who already has like she literally texted me I'm at college oh, no. guess who already has her book I was like fighting words what? <laughs> I went to that midnight release party did you? I was working at Borders when the seventh book was released nice yeah. so yeah I was working the midnight release party were you in costume yes <laughs> i got it at midnight i was dressed as a slytherin person because that was the only tie i had it was green and uh after that my friends and i looked at each other and went peace out bye <laughs> <laughs> must go read now and then yeah well then we would text each other with page numbers and be like are you here yet yes <gasps> what did you think <laughs> i mean i've read the book 
as it comes out, but mm-hmm. I've never done like an in the middle of the book, you know, check in with other people who are as excited. But I could totally see Travis doing that. Oh, this same friend from college, when the Raven King came out, we were texting each other with page numbers. I'm like, I've already read it. I got it two days early because Green Apple by the Park had it. <laughs> it, it. So everybody who knew that I had it early would text me and be like, <gasps> page 57, <laughs> what's going to happen? <laughs> my, uh, my high school girlfriend was also obsessed with Harry Potter. A lot of people in my friend group were. So we <laughs> would just go to her house and just like each read our own copy of the book and you know that was our day yeah <laughs> you know she was like a slightly faster reader than I was so like I'd hear her make a reaction and I'm like oh my god <laughs> like and that like built up the you know anticipation in me for like when am I gonna get to that page that she's on what happened <laughs> yeah, yeah that was that's like my first group reading experience yeah and then by the time the Raven King came out yeah I, I got a lot of Gancy text messages (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i get it travis you're you're my soulmate (laughs) wanting that group reading experience is why i joined book club yeah because i kept trying to talk about books that i'd read with friends and they would just like give me the blank stare what are books (laughs) (laughs) or just like they read nonfiction, or they just like don't read young adult or whatever you know and i'd be like oh i read this great book and and then i'd be like nobody wants to listen to me talk about this (laughs) i need to find the people that are interested and now we have a podcast. No, it makes me happy. Yeah, so, you know, Travis, he found his people online, but they're probably, you know, I mean, you have your friends, but they're not necessarily, like, the people who share all of your interests, and sometimes you just want to go to somebody who you know is going to get it. Oh, yeah, when I was when I was a middle schooler and teenager, I found people on the internet. Where I had, I organized my own L.J. Smith fan club on the internet and we all talked about it ad nauseum and that's how I met my best friend and I've had other friends that I've known for 20 years now all because of books really nerdy books the books that my middle school people called me a satanist for reading (laughs) I will never understand that yeah well I just saw some random meme on the internet that said LOL is Satanist. It stands for Lucifer, our Lord. So every time you say LOL, you're praising Satan. Wow. Oh, God, if only I'd been able to tell them that then. Our last uh, topic for this podcast, which is our drinks, sweet tea, bestie love, one of the most unattainable loves. Yeah, but I really identified with Dill with his unrequitedness. <laughs> That's also like a trope that you see a lot in YA. It was yeah. Like the, oh, I'm in love with my best friend. <laughs> but I but I did like how it played out in this book. Well, have you guys been in love with your best friends? Because I haven't. Kind of. I've, huh? y- yes. I've had crushes on friends. Yeah. Absolutely. My best friend, my best guy friend was in love with me, apparently. He told my mother. He didn't tell me. I that's knew. That's so confusing. Why would you tell it? I just, that's so confusing. Well, because she sat him down and asked him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he really liked now. my mom. <laughs> I was in the other room. No, my one of my guy best friends is one of the people I asked to make out with me who turned me down. So oh. then I just like knew that that was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we actually traveled together when I still was really attracted to him and just was like, okay, hold it together, tricky. Eventually... I realized that our friendship is so much stronger. He's like my brother Mm -hmm. now. And I think if we hadn't gone through those experiences, that it wouldn't be that way. I think the only reason I was super attracted to him is because, like, he was a boy that would give me time. 
not just the time, but just like recognizing me as a person. Our friendship was not based off of the you're a boy and I'm a girl. It's based off of like we're the people and we like hanging out with each other. And that's what was attractive to me. Oh, you're not seeing me as a stereotype of whatever. You actually want to hang out with me too. This means you must like me, <laughs> which is not the case. <laughs> Bestie love is a YA trope, but like how often does it happen well? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've definitely not had that. I've dated friends and had that turn into love, but I definitely have not pined over my best friend. And Oh, won't you please notice me? I was busy waiting for Bono to notice me, so. <laughs> <laughs> and he's making the most hilarious face. He wore leather pants, okay? <laughs> Nobody in Central California wore leather pants. <laughs> until Until the best guy friend. And I went to a concert, and I made a comment about, oh, how hot the lead singer's leather pants were, and guess who showed up in leather pants a few weeks later? You should have known oh. then. Oh, I knew. Oh. That was after the okay. the whole my mother sat him down and was like, so, What's you love deal? my daughter? <laughs> Although, didn't that kind of happen with Dill and Lydia's parents? Pretty much. I mean, like, the parents know what's up. Yeah. I can only imagine that if we had kids and we were, even if you were teaching high school. Other way around. Wait, I'm trying to remember. Lydia's the, dad the, sit, sits still down and like basically, or was it her mom? One of One them. One of them, is, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they knew what was going on. Oh yeah, well we've all been through it. So if you if you see a couple of teenagers making cow eyes at each other, <laughs> of course you're going to be like, so... <laughs> Have you asked her out? Well, I think with my bestie, his mom was like pushing me as an acceptable girlfriend. Oh, well, because he he dated a, a very long string of girls that were all just like the same type, but like <laughs> not that friendly. And then in this book too, the parents saw the the genuineness and the authenticness. Yeah, is that a word? Authenticity <laughs> in their friendship. You know, and Lydia so happy to skip off to college, but her dad was like, "Don't forget about your friends. They're they're real. <laughs> you know, they're real friends. They're not to be taken for granted." That yeah. Kind of thing. So parents know what's up. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Good parents know what's up. Yes. Empathetic parents know what's up. That's all I have to talk about. Did you want to talk about anything else? Um, I had like one more thing that I wanted to mention in terms of and his near suicide attempt mm. I thought that it was handled really well because he was able to sort of like pull himself back from the edge but it didn't end there it wasn't just like I came really close and then I overcame it and like I had the you know sheer mental yeah. willpower to do this on myself like he goes to therapy and mm -hmm. he goes on antidepressants and like there's follow-up mm -hmm. so I really appreciated that realistic look at what that process looks like yeah, he's not all better like yeah, that. Yeah. Not all puppies and kittens and rainbows right. and making out with the girl. Sometimes you need extra help. And it's not just like you can will yourself to be better. Yeah, yeah, it was handled well, especially considering that he doesn't really have that many good adults in his life. Yeah. As we talked about last time, mental illness still has this huge stigma. I definitely think that there is mental illness in my family that is just like not being addressed. My sister, I don't know if she still is, but she told me, she's like, I'm on antidepressants, don't tell mom and dad. And I was just like, why can't we talk about these things, <laughs> you yeah. know? And just, I think that in high school, I definitely could have gone to see a therapist for <laughs> the place that I was at, for sure, and probably would have benefited from that. But it wasn't something that 
we ever talked about in my family. Yeah, no, mine either. Not really. Yeah, mine either. <laughs> but yeah, that's something that I'm like dealing with now, therapy and just starting antidepressants. And I was like really nervous to tell my mom. I don't know why. Just because <laughs> like it's not something that like we've ever talked about. Because other people talking about it to me is like what helped me be like, oh, mm-hmm. this is an okay thing. This is an okay thing to talk about. So. Do yeah. you ever address it when you're teaching? And for the record, everybody Brit teaches third grade. Um, no, it hasn't really come up with third graders. Yeah. Do you have kids on ADHD stuff? Probably. (laughs) But they haven't talked to you about it? No. At that age, it's something that I'm more like talking to their parents about Mm -hmm. versus them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know why we still can't address that, why it's like a failing in people and dealing with the healthcare crisis in our country right now, you know, denying Mm -hmm. people coverage for stuff that is like no this is not a failing in this person or like it's kind of a failing of our nation to not support our people well, so. i'm seeing especially in YA books i'm seeing a movement toward more people being open and kids getting the message that yeah it's okay it's okay if this isn't working it's a chemical imbalance it's just like if you had a cold right well or then we also have cancer, cancer or, which yeah. will forever <laughs> shit on i'm sorry <laughs> Look, it was awful it was not ideal <laughs> that's by meg wallitzer for the record not sylvia plath <laughs> <laughs> bell jar is good yeah so i just appreciated like the follow-through and like the reality of what it looks like to come back from the edge and not just be instantly better yep he handled it really well i think that's kind of dill's life though right he had that edge before mm-hmm. i mean i know even really young people contemplate suicide and, and enact it but he his father goes to prison and his family's broken up and he l- is no longer in the church and has to kind of reorganize himself in the world. And it's interesting to me that the thing that really triggered him was the loss of his friend, not the loss of his family. I mean, not to say his values have to be a certain way. He gets the title of the Serpent King because his family has been dealing with depression for generations and have done it in ways that have very publicly created the stigma in his family. And he's kind of caught up in the hereditary, like, oh, you're just going to go the same way, just going to go the same way. And he has to break the cycle of the family. Right. Yeah, family legacies, man. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing it back full circle, like the snake swallowing its tail. (laughs) All right. On that note, should we say thank you, Jeff Sentner, for a very beautiful book? And thank you to everybody who's listening. Yeah. See you next time. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake distinct among snowflakes.